Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. All right, show of hands. How many of you at any point in your life have ever had a father? All right, hey, that's all of us. <laughs> hey, Father's Day is today, Juneteenth is tomorrow, and we recognize that both of these days can be rather complex emotionally, and so my prayer is that you'd be able to celebrate both in deeply and meaningful ways. My name is Steve Garcia. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise, and it's my privilege to continue in this message series with you this morning that we're calling Summer Playlist. Now, here's the idea behind it. We look at Uh, popular songs from over the decades, and we compare them against the truth of the Bible. So on this Father's Day, the song that I've selected is one that could apply specifically to dads, but I think to all of us generally. And so the song I picked is called The Man by Aloe Black. Let's give a listen. Well, you can tell everybody, yeah, you can tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. I believe every lie that I ever told. Paid for every heart that I ever stole. I played my cards and I didn't fold. Well, it ain't that hard when you got sold. Somewhere I heard that life is a test. I've been through the worst, but I still get my best. God made my mold different from the rest. Then he broke that mold, so I know I'm blessed. Stand up now and face the sun. Won't hide my tail or turn and run. It's time to do what must be done. This song was released a couple of years ago, and it became very popular, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, it's quite catchy, but 
Uh, secondly, uh, it has a message that I think resonates with a lot of people, and that message is simply this. You have to believe in yourself. Uh, what, what, is, what does the man refer to in our culture? You know, the man typically means it's the best, the smartest, the, the best looking, the most successful, you know, being your own boss. You know, the, the, the man is the one with the most amount of money, the most amount of authority, the most amount of notoriety. So fellas, you need to be the man. Ladies, you need to be the woe man. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the message. You know, and this song was particularly popular with athletes. It's understandable why. Right? All athletes want to be the man. They want to be the one standing at the plate when the game is on the line. The one who's got the ball in their hands. The one making the game-winning play. Raise your hands if you are familiar with the name Austin Reeves. Put your hand up. Okay, these are our hardcore basketball fans here. Uh, you might not know who Austin Reeves is. I got a picture of him right here. He is a basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers. Most of us had no idea who Austin Reeves was even just a couple of months ago. And that's because he was an undrafted rookie that sat on the end of the bench and didn't get any playing time. But about midway through the season, his opportunity came and he made the most of it. And on April 16th, he made his playoff debut, scoring 23 points and helping lead the Lakers to a victory. And late in the game, after he hit a big shot, he started talking on the court. I wanted to show you what he said. Take a listen. Reeves, 21 points, three assists. Gets inside, off balance, jumper, got it, a go! Austin Reeves, in his first playoff game, has got 23. him. That's another way of saying, I'm the man, which makes me laugh because this dude is on the same court as LeBron James talking about, I'm him. Right? It's, just an, it's just another way of saying the same thing. And, and fellas, this is how you're supposed to act. When you come home after a long day at work, you're supposed to kick the door open and yell, I'm him. And everybody in your family is supposed to fall in line because you're the man, right? Isn't that what masculinity is? At least that's what our world tends to think that it is. You see, here's the thing. This is, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're old or young, I think the idea of being the man is something our, our culture celebrates and loves because this kind of self-aggrandizement, I think, triggers one of our biggest values, and that is you have to believe in yourself because at the end of the day, the only person you can trust is you. But what does the Bible have to say about that? You know, at the center of the Bible is a songbook. It's called the Book of Psalms. And out of 150 psalms, my absolute favorite is the one we're going to look at today. It is Psalm 34. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, I want to encourage you to make your way over to the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 34. And we're going to look at one that's written by a poet, a prophet, a fierce warrior, and a mighty king. He could sing, he could dance, he could play instruments. I'm talking about the great King David, and these are his words, beginning in Psalm 34, verse 1. Read along with me. It says, 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This song begins in worship. Worship, quite simply, is how you respond to that which is sacred in your life. And friends, listen, we all worship something. Christian worship is responding to God for who he is and what he's done. And so David begins his song by letting us know that worship is his highest priority, and then he tells us why. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So David begins to tell a story about a time in his life when he was in a dire situation and he cried out to God for help and God came through. You can read all about the situation uh, yourself. It's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So I'm going to give you the lightning quick version. There was once a famous giant by the name of Goliath, the nine-foot-tall champion from one of Israel's most bitter enemies, the Philistines. And the king of Israel that time, Saul, was terrified of Goliath. And Goliath came out and he mocked God, he mocked Israel, and nobody would do anything about it until David showed up. David said, somebody's got to put this guy down. David steps onto the field, knocks the giant out with a stone, then walks over and cuts off his head. And this shocking victory skyrocketed David into celebrity status. And before you know it, David was leading massive military campaigns and having these huge victories. So they started writing songs about him. And one song in particular debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. I want to read to you some of the lyrics of this song. It was found in 1 Samuel 18.7. It says, The women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. In other words... We like Saul, but we love David. You see, before all this, Saul was the man. He was big and tall and buff and good-looking. He was the man until Goliath showed up. Saul was afraid of Goliath, so now Goliath was the man. And then David stepped onto the field. And as the old sports cliche goes, if you want to be the man, you have to beat the man. And that's what David did, so now David is the man. Saul's not the man. Goliath is not the man. David is the man. And all you ladies are wondering, why do guys care so much about being the man? <laughs> it's called pride. It's called competitiveness. It's called overcompensating for our insecurities. And one of the most insecure people in the Bible was King Saul. And he got tired of everybody singing songs about David that he decided he was going to kill him. And when David got wind of this plan, he immediately ran off into hiding as King Saul and his army went in pursuit of him. And David found himself in a situation where he was so desperate, the only place he could hide was in enemy territory, in the land of the Philistines, the very place that was the homeland of the Philistine giant he just killed. And David was terrified. And before long, he was captured by the Philistine forces and marched in front of the king. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 21, 12. It says, David was very much afraid of Ashish, king of Gath. 
Listen to this. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. David was a man of the arts. He danced, he sang, he wrote songs, he played instruments. Well, now add acting to his list of talents. I mean, can you imagine? He had to make a snap decision. What do I need to do to stay alive? So he starts rolling around in the dirt, scratching up the walls, spitting everywhere, which is exactly how some of you guys act when your team loses. <laughs> Wife comes walking in, what is going on in here? Let me guess. The Dodgers blew another ninth inning lead with their bad bullpen. No, maybe. <laughs> this is what David had to do to stay alive. He literally acted insane. But here's the thing, it actually worked. Look what it says in verse 14. Ashish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? He took one look at David and this lunatic and he set him free. So once David got out of the situation and got into safety, he wrote a worship song, Psalm 34. And now we can understand why David would say these words, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Turns out that David wasn't just acting crazy, he was praying like crazy, asking God for his help. And this is how he responded in worship, verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David issued a challenge to everyone else who would ever read the words of this song to experience the same thing he experienced. That when you put your trust in God in a situation in which you are desperate, you will personally experience God's goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, this song is almost the exact opposite of the song I played you earlier. The message of the song I played you earlier is essentially... I am the man. The message of this song is, I can't be the man, but my God can. See, David understood that he doesn't have to be the man. He doesn't have to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's got a God who can do that, a God who can carry our burdens, a God who can guide our future. And once he released that and put his trust in God, he was able to experience full deliverance and, and worship within his spirit. And so with our remaining time, I, I want to take a look at some of the some takeaways we can get from, from Psalm 34. And, and for all of us to, to realize that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to face attention your whole life on this side of heaven. And the tension is simply this, that whatever the prevailing message of culture is, it's almost always at odds with the Bible. What you will experience in life is that there is a massive gap between what the world teaches and what the word teaches. And being in the middle of that tension is so important because I'm guessing that there's a lot of us in here that we tend to fall one way or the other. And today I want to encourage you with some of the words of Psalm 34. And so let's look at some of these tensions, beginning with the first one. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The world teaches self-confidence, 
but the word teaches Christ confidence. Let's look first at the, at the world's perspective and let's go back to some of the lyrics of the song that we played earlier. This is what the songwriter wrote. I've been through the worst, but I still give my best. God made my mold different from the rest. Then he broke that mold. So I know I'm blessed. This is my world. That is self-confidence personified. Now let's contrast this with the words of Psalm 34. David began by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Can you see how far apart these two things are? You know, if this Psalm was written by today's standards, that verse would read, I will bless myself at all times. My praise shall continually be in my mouth. David continues in verse two, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. If this song was written by today's standards, it would say, my Lord boasts about me. David continues, let the humble hear and be glad. Again, if this was written today, it would say, let the haters hear and be jealous. Verse six, this poor man cried. This is written by today's standards. They would say, this rich man laughed. Verse six continues. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. But if this was written today, it would say, and I laced up my bootstraps and worked hard to solve my problems myself. What's interesting about David is if there's anybody in his time that could have said, I'm the man, it was David. He's the one who stepped on to the field and took down Goliath. He's the one people sang songs about. He's the one all the ladies were fawning over. And yet, instead of taking all of the glory on himself, instead of projecting this image that I'm the best and having self-confidence, his confidence was actually put in Christ. That's why he said these words in verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That phrase, angel of the Lord, is a really, really interesting one. It's used over 60 times in the Old Testament, and it often refers to Jesus himself, that Jesus is the angel of the Lord. And when you look back in the Old Testament, this angel of the Lord, Jesus, appeared to different people like Abraham, Moses, and Gideon, to, to name a few. And some of you may hear this, and you might get a little confused and saying, well, well hold on, I thought Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Now you're telling me he's, he's going around the Old Testament appearing to people? Listen, this is important. It's important for us to understand that Jesus' story did not begin with Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He has no beginning. He is eternally, endlessly existing always. So what happened in Bethlehem on what we celebrate for Christmas is not Jesus, his story beginning, it's Jesus coming from heaven to earth and taking on human flesh, becoming a person like us. It's what we call the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Why would Jesus do this? Because his mission was to die for the sins of the world. And you can't kill God, but you can kill a person. And so when Jesus appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. And when David used this phrase, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, what David was acknowledging was that Jesus himself is involved in our everyday affairs. 
David believed that it was Jesus who saved him from the Philistine king. And that's why David was so quick to not just take all the glory upon himself, but to reflect that glory right back up to Christ. David didn't have self-confidence, he had Christ confidence. Now, occasionally I'll see an athlete interviewed who I know has a personal relationship with Christ. And it goes something like this, you know, after a game, a sports reporter sticks a mic in their face and says something like, so tell me what was going through your head when you made that game winning play? And the athlete responds uh, like something like saying, well, first of all, I wanna thank my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, without him, none of this would be possible. The media hates this because <laughs> they don't know what to do with it. And so often they resort to mocking later and saying things like, okay, Jesus didn't hit that shot, you did. But what they fail to recognize and what so many of us fail to recognize is this, God has placed every single one of us on this planet to enjoy Jesus and reflect him back to the world. And so when you are given a spotlight or a platform or a blessing, capitalize on that opportunity by reflecting Jesus back into the world. This is what Christ confidence is. That's why David said these words in verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Have you ever looked through a magnifying glass? What it does is it takes something that is small and sometimes hidden by the naked eye and it expands it so you and I can personally experience in an up-close way that which was previously hidden from the naked eye. And, and what we often are unaware of the fact is that, that Jesus is operating behind the scenes. We don't always see him. And so the challenge is let's magnify him to the world so the world can see that he is out here. And so when you experience God's favor in your life, be very careful that you don't quickly jump to take the credit that that was all of your own doing. It was Jesus who gave you that sharp mind. It was Jesus who gave you that great personality. It was Jesus who opened doors and provided for you financially and gave you these gifts and abilities. And so when you have that opportunity, don't just take it upon yourself. Shine it right back up to Jesus. And the more that you do that, the more the confidence will begin to develop, not in yourself, but in Jesus, that if he brought me through this time, I can believe he's gonna bring me through the next time. And if you are a dad, what an awesome opportunity for you to stand before your kids and say, I can't be the man, but my God can. Let me point you to him. The world teaches self-confidence. The word teaches Christ confidence. Here's the second thing. The world teaches don't admit mistakes to others. The word teaches don't waste mistakes, teach others. Let's go back to our song lyrics from earlier. He said, I believe every lie that I ever told, paid for every heart that I ever stole. I played my cards and I didn't fold. In other words, I'm not gonna apologize for being me. If you got a problem with it, then you adjust. Only positive here, only positive. Now compare that to God's word. So after David escaped from this king, he went into a cave 
and 400 people met him there. They were done following Saul and they wanted to follow David. So David gathered them all around and listen to what he said in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? In other words, David got everybody leaned in said, how many of you want to live a long and meaningful life? Everybody did, and everybody still does. So David said, okay, you, you want that? Then listen carefully. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That is excellent advice. Too bad David didn't follow it himself. See, because what many scholars believe that what David was referring to in this moment was a critical mistake he made when he was first on the run from Saul. It's recorded in 1 Samuel 21. I want to read a couple of verses to you. It said, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. David was a fugitive on the run and he was hungry and he knew a place where he can get some food was from the priest. And so he visits this guy named Ahimelech and, and the priest's first response is, what are you doing alone? This would be equivalent to us maybe seeing the vice president out jogging at night with no security detail. I mean, that'd be shocking. You know, somebody of your importance shouldn't be this exposed. And so David made up a lie on the spot. And, and, and he said, look, I'm on a special mission, so give me some food, please. So the priest supplied him with bread and a sword. Now, why would David choose to lie in this moment? In all likelihood, he was trying to protect this priest. He was trying to give him an alibi because if King Saul would come and find the priest, his thought was probably the, the less this guy knows, the better. It was a solid plan. The only problem is that it backfired. Because while David was having this whole interaction, there was one of Saul's minions eyewitnessing the entire thing, some guy named Doeg. And as soon as he saw it, he ran straight back to Saul, told him exactly what happened. This priest helped David. And so Saul shows up and kills the priest. And he doesn't stop there. This is 1 Samuel 22, 18. That day, he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. And when this news made it back to David, he had to carry the guilt of that bloodshed. If only he would have told the truth, would it have been possible that these people could have lived? What if he just showed up and said, listen, I'm on the run from Saul. Can you help me? The priest could have had options. Maybe he could have rejected David publicly, but helped him privately, you know, secretly supplying him with bread. Or maybe the priest could have helped him and said, I'll just go on the run with you. We don't know, but David chose to lie in that moment. And now thousands of people died as a result. So what did David say? Hey, look, I'm not going to admit any fault here. You know, I'm just going to keep moving ahead. You know, just, just be strong, only positive. That's not what David did. Instead, what he did was he utilized the opportunity not to say, I, I'm just going to refuse to admit mistakes, but instead to take the opportunity to teach others. That's why he said in verse 11, 
Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He utilized his mistake to teach others. Our culture does not value admitting mistakes. Because if you're going to be the man, if you're going to be the woman, admitting mistakes shows fault. It shows weakness. You can't do that. You know, occasionally I'll have a conversation with people and the subject of our past comes up. And so I might ask the question, do, do you have any regrets in life? And one answer that I hear back quite a bit, even from many Christians, goes something like this. You know, I have no regrets in life because all of my mistakes shape me to who I am today. And I get that. But here's my question. Who had to suffer for you to be who you are today? Is there a wake of casualties in your past? Who had to pay the price for your lesson learned? Friends, we ought, to, we ought to have a little regret over our mistakes, but the way that we could not waste these mistakes is to use them to teach others to avoid what we did. Have some humility. Be vulnerable. Admit where you have made a fault. Apologize and share your story with, with other people. And I'm not just talking about before you're a Christian. You know, before I met Christ, I did this, but now I did this. I'm talking about what you did last week. Have you apologized for it? Have, have you said to your kids, look, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. This is what I should have done. Have you shared with your friends how your missteps could be avoided? Friends, listen, we can't change the past, but maybe we can alter someone else's future. That comes when we take ownership of our situation and not avoid it, not say I'm never going to admit anything, but let's utilize it to teach others. That's what David did, and that's what we could do too. The world teaches self-confidence. The word teaches Christ-confidence. The world teaches don't, mistake to, don't uh, admit mistakes to others. The word teaches don't waste mistakes. Teach others. Here's one more. The world teaches your strength will guide you. The word teaches your Savior will guide you. Once again, let's look at some of the lyrics of the song we played earlier. It says, I'm a soldier standing on my feet. No surrender and I won't retreat. This is my world. Stand up now and face the sun. Won't hide my tail or turn and run. It's time to do what must be done. Be a king when kingdom comes. This is the stuff that, that we, we, at a base level, all love. We, we want to be the king. We want to be the, the one in control. Our, our own strength is what we want to rely on. And this is a major value in our culture, that, that you have to find your inner strength. It's the theme of just about every superhero movie. And that's because the, the, the prevalent message is this. Everything you need in life is found right in here. If you could just find that strength, your strength will guide you. Again, there's an entirely different message from God's word. Let's go back to Psalm 34. This is verse 19. Listen to what David said. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. So at first glance, this appears to be saying that if you believe in Jesus, you'll never get sick, you'll never experience pain, you won't even feel a broken bone. 
I mean, that's what it seems to say. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, delivers us from them all. You won't even break a bone. That's what it might look like at the surface level. But if you dig just a little deeper, here's the key thing. The most important words in these verses are not afflictions, not broken, and not bones. The most important word in these verses is the word deliver. God delivers us from them all. What does the word deliver mean? Quite simply, it means rescue. That God will rescue you out of any situation. He never promises that you won't face any trouble. I mean, Jesus said the exact opposite in John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. He's not saying that your life will be pain-free, but he is saying that he will rescue you, deliver you out of any situation. It might still be painful. There might be, still be some consequences, but he will bring you through it. A number of years ago, I worked at a, a large church, and we were growing faster than we had ever grown. And I was on the executive leadership team, and I remember leaving an elder meeting one night totally excited. We were talking about growth and building new buildings and expanding ministries and breaking new ground. One week later, the same group of elders sat me down in a room to let me know that the senior pastor experienced a moral failure. He was messing around with a woman who was not his wife. And just like that, the carpet was pulled out from under my feet. And I was thrust into crisis mode to help try to lead this church through what just happened. And in the midst of all of this, uh, the pastor who fell personally reached out to me and, and wanted to, to, to talk with me one-on-one. -on -one. And he and I were very close, and so I agreed. And I met him at a coffee shop, and, and we sat down around the table, and the first thing he did was he looked me right in the eyes, and, and with tears all welling up, he just said, I'm so sorry. And for the next two hours, we talked in pretty honest detail about all of the events that led to these moments coming to light. And he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, Steve, I didn't get caught. I got rescued. What I didn't know was that this pastor was drowning in his secret sin. And he couldn't get out of it on his own. His own strength failed him. And so when all of the circumstances came to light... He saw this as God's rescue of his life, even though it brought massive embarrassment upon him. It brought pain to his family. It dragged the church through the mud. And even in the midst of all of this, he had a profound sense that God was rescuing him out of his mess. Friends, listen. The deliverance of God is not God walking you around the storm but walking you right through it. And that is why, yeah, that's worth that. That's why David wrote some of the most beautiful song lyrics you'll ever hear about God. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is a verse I often share with people who are going through difficulty. People who are still feeling the sting of that breakup or mourning the loss of a loved one or still reeling from the latest rejection. Here's a new song for your playlist. There is a God in heaven who will never abandon you when everyone else does. He doesn't run from the pain. He runs right towards you. And he's reaching out his hand. And if you will just take it, then you will experience something very powerful. 
your own strength will not guide you, but your Savior will. Do you know that even Jesus himself was not spared from pain and trouble? The Father allowed him to go through the torture of dying by crucifixion on a cross. He didn't even prevent Jesus from feeling trouble, but he did deliver him from it. He gave Jesus the strength to endure, to die in our place, to pay for the penalty of our sins so that we don't have to. And here is a very sombering reality for all of us. At some point in time, all of us are going to expire. And all of us are going to stand before God and have to give an account for our lives. And I just wonder, how many of us are going to stand before Almighty God and say, I'm the man. I got myself out of every situation before. I'm going to get myself out of this one too. And you know what God's going to say to you? He's going to say, okay. And I'm going to give you exactly what you want. You get to spend eternity with you because that's the one you love the most. Not eternity in heaven with Jesus, free from the presence of pain and sin, but eternity in hell, separated from God and quarantined from the rest of humanity. This is the logical end for all of us who place our trust in ourselves. But the good news is there's another way. Instead of saying, I have to take this on and I have to pay my debt, we could place our faith in Jesus that his finished work on the cross is all we need to experience forgiveness. And when we surrender our lives to him and realize that somebody loves me this much that they'd pay for my sin, it's easy to give your life to him. It's easy to put him on the throne of your heart when you realize that he took care of the biggest problem you and I can ever have. And that's the problem of our sin being counted against us. Have you ever trusted in this Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life? If you've never done that, today could be your day to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, in just a moment, I wanna, I wanna lead you in a, in a prayer, a simple prayer. Sometimes we call it the sinner's prayer, or the prayer of salvation. And it's just a prayer of giving your life to Jesus. And if you've never prayed this before, I want to help you do that. I'll give you some words you can repeat after me. But listen, this is nothing but an empty chant unless you genuinely have the faith behind this. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite everybody in the house, bow your heads, close your eyes, online campus, I'm talking to you too. I want you to search your heart for a moment. And in the silence of your heart, I want to challenge you, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, to pray these words right back up to heaven. You could just tell him, Jesus, I need you. Pray those words. Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. But I believe you saved me, Jesus. I believe you died in my place. And I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. I invite you into my life change my heart so I could leave my old life behind and live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.
If you prayed that prayer for the first time and genuinely meant it, I believe that God, even in this moment, has made you one of his children. And I want to encourage you to take the next step. Here's what we'd love for you to do. On the programs many of you received when you came in is a simple little perforated card. You could fill that out and tear that off. And in just a moment, when the offering bags come by, you can drop this in. There's a little box that says, I said yes, I prayed to receive Christ. If you fill that out, then our team can follow up with you and help you understand exactly what that means and give you some resources so that you could thrive. Maybe you aren't going anywhere. Maybe you prayed that prayer before, but you're stuck. You're not moving. You want to take your next step. Here's the easiest way to do it. Grab your phone right now and text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will receive that text and interact with you to help customize what that plan would look like. Maybe you need to, some people in your life, you want to join a small group, you need somebody to talk to, maybe you want to get more involved, you need some assistance of some kind, text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or if you'd rather have a face-to-face -face conversation with someone today, you could stop by the table that says NEXT STEPS out in our lobby. There's somebody out there waiting for you to come on by. Next week, we are going to be continuing in this message series looking at Psalm 27, a prayer for the fearful. So if you are somebody who struggles with fear or you know someone who's afraid, you ought to invite them to come to church with you and hear an encouraging word from the Bible. Until then, let's remember, there is a massive gap between what the world teaches and what the Word teaches. The world teaches self-confidence. The Word teaches Christ-confidence. The world teaches don't admit mistakes to others. The word teaches don't waste mistakes. Teach others. The world teaches your strength will guide you. The word teaches your Savior will guide you. So on this Father's Day, here's my encouragement to you. You can go tell everybody. Go on and tell everybody. Well, you could tell everybody. I can't be the man, but my God can. And may we trust in him alone. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for not leaving us on our own, but sending your only son to die in our place. And Father, I want to pray for everyone in here who is bought into the lie of self-sufficiency, that I have everything I need, that I'm enough, that I got to get myself out of this, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that you squash that lie and help us in humility to stretch our hands toward heaven and realize that we need you, God. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Lord, may today we taste and see that the Lord is good. And as we continue in worship through the giving of our financial gifts, may this act be one of just a renewed faith in the fact that you will take care of our most basic needs and then some. Father, we thank you, we love you, and thank you for being the kind of God that is close to the brokenhearted and near to those who are crushed in spirit. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and if you believe in your heart, then let somebody say amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. 
That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.